Hello and welcome to the Energy Talk Podcast. My name is Lupumi Olajide and thank you so much for joining us again this week. I hope you've all had a lovely weekend. Today is an episode I'm really excited about. We've been trying to organize it for quite a while. We're speaking with the Chief Research Officer for Power for All. I'm going to be speaking about the topic of energy access, focusing on the regions of Sub-Saharan Africa and some South Asian countries. So I hope you're all really excited for this. We're going to be focusing on two of the most recent campaigns about power powering jobs and about utilities 2.0 so i hope you all enjoyed this conversation and let's jump right into the interview hello dr shirley thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today it's really great to have you here especially when we've been trying to schedule this for so long now oh yeah thank you for having me i'm 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 happy to be on the energy talk it's my pleasure so could you just give a big background to the audience about uh your uh, experience and what you're currently doing in the energy industry. Sure. Um, so I'm the chief research officer at Power for All, um, which is an educational nonprofit organization that's focused on delivering clean, reliable, and affordable power to all, as is as in our title. Um, so I manage our research team. Um, and you know the way that Power for All works, um, we're not an industry organization or a private company. We really try to provide support to the sector. Um, in terms of, and the, by the sector, I mean the off-grid sector or the decentralized renewable energy sector um, by bringing new information and data to the floor. And um, we do that through uh, campaign initiatives as well as um, as direct support to, to companies. Okay. Uh, so the chief research officer, that, 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 that's a very unique role. So what exactly do you do at Powerful? What does the role entail? Um, so we've got, so the way that Powerful works, we essentially have, uh, we work in Sub-Saharan Africa and South and Southeast Asia. Um, and we focus on countries where the part of the challenge is serving the rural and peri-urban communities specifically. Um, so we believe that traditional grid extension pathways um, need support, if you will, from newer, more modern solutions that are available um, and that are distributed in nature. So, um, and uh, therefore we can reach communities more quickly and more cost effectively. So our goal is to ensure and encourage that type of integration. Um, so in terms of research, what we do is we help unify that beyond the grid community of companies to advocate for specific enabling policies. Uh, we help catalyze markets um, for distributed energy technologies, uh, and we help to mobilize key stakeholder groups like governments and financiers, private sector companies, regulators, etc. Um, so really what our research is about is we support awareness raising and evidence building um, by producing research ourselves or by um, highlighting research that is available, that's publicly available um, to help people, whether policymakers or journalists, um, you know, understand the impacts of access and practical solutions for, uh, you know, novel and, and innovative and efficient modes of delivery. Um, so right now we do specific work in Nigeria uh, Uganda, Kenya, and India. And in the past, we've also worked in Sierra Leone, Zimbabwe, and Ethiopia. So how has your work experience been shaped working with developing countries, especially in such uh, an emerging market as, because when it comes to the kind of work you're doing, you're dealing a lot with rural electrification and renewable energy. So what, what, what have been the unique experiences you've had in the role? Oh, that's a good question. Well, this is sort of my, uh, you know, my my comfort zone, really. I've been doing this kind of work for over a decade. Um, before Sub-Saharan Africa, I was working in South and Southeast Asia. And before that, I was working in Latin America and the Caribbean, where I'm from. 
Um, so I think that one of the things that I really enjoy about being here and working in East Africa is that um, you're really at the center of where a lot of the companies that are engaged in energy access and really sustainable development more broadly are based. So you get to interact very directly um, with companies, understand what their real challenges are. And that allows our research to be even more attuned to the needs of the sector. So I really appreciate that that component of being based here. Okay, so I'm really happy to hear that. So let, let's go a bit into the research that you're doing at Profile. And uh, there are actually two that I'd like to highlight. And one of them is the Powering Jobs campaign, which is very exciting, but I think it'd better if you tell it. So what was, <laughs> uh, what was the whole campaign about? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of conversation around the the you might hear words like co-benefits or the impacts or the dividends um, that come from energy access. Um, and oftentimes, a lot of the information that supports those arguments about impacts is anecdotal. And so there's a body of literature that's now developing around really trying to understand and grapple with the evidences for impact. Um, and while, uh, you know, with the growing adoption of artificial intelligence and the dramatic changes that are happening globally in terms of population demographics, the future of work in particular is a source of major uncertainty, um, particularly in emerging economies. Um, you know, you just think about the fact that, um, you know, with the, as I was mentioning before, the growing impact of climate change, um, one of our major sectors here in, in sub-Saharan Africa is, um, is agriculture, right? That's employing over 65% of the continent's labor force. But it's becoming increasingly, um, you know, unpredictable given um, the weather pattern changes that we're seeing um, that are, um, you know, largely climate change induced. Um, and then that's, that's compounded by increases in automation and mechanization and so on. So meanwhile, as you have a jeopardization of traditional agricultural job opportunities, um, we're seeing actually a population boom. And right now, according to AFDB, uh, young men and women between the ages of 15 to 24 comprise over 34% of the population of the entire continent. And 10 million young people enter the job market every year on the continent looking for jobs. And so I think you sort of see the two sides of this coin, right? That on one side, we've got a, um, you know, uh, challenges towards job creation. And on the other side, we have this population boom. Um, and so what we wanted to do was, was explore this what we think is an opportunity for opportunity for for employment um, through delivering energy access. Um, you know, right now Africa, this, the continent is is making fantastic strides to improve electrification across the continent. Um, and we're really seeing renewable and decentralized technologies sit at the center of that expansion. Um, and when I say renewable and decentralized technologies, I'm talking about technologies that allow generation to happen closer to consumption. Um, so you might have heard of mini grids or solar home systems, solar lanterns, uh, you know, uh, remote storage, um, distributed storage. These technologies, they're agile. They're able to reach remote communities a bit more easily than transmission lines can and thus help us, you know, get electrification out to remote communities um, more quickly. And in particular, um, you know, as I was mentioned before, the agriculture, agriculture might be, the, as it's the, dom the sector that still dominates the sub-Saharan African economy, it's likely the sector that's best poised to benefit from the potential of, of you know, um, distributed or distributed energy access. 
So what we really wanted to do was think about the fact that it seems like energy access, food security, and livelihoods are all inherently connected. Um, and so solutions to universal energy access might actually also be solutions to decent work and job creation. As I mentioned before, though, there's very little data on this. So the question for us was, what is the evidence for that connection between energy access and job creation? And more importantly, how can we unlock the opportunity of that interconnection? Um, so we did the first ever bottom-up jobs count for jobs from decentralized technologies in the continent. Um, because as I mentioned before, there were very few studies that to date had explored this topic. Um, and we did that in, con in partnership with a number of key sector players. Um, in Nigeria, in Kenya, and in India, which represented sort of three, you know, very different stages of markets, um, market growth for decentralized renewables. Um, so we so we did this study, um, a sur this survey, um, <clears throat> and then we uh, validated those findings through focus group discussions in each of the countries that I just mentioned before, and then we published the findings. And you know, we had we found a really eager community, a really eager audience um, for that for that information, for that new data, um, because of what the findings showed. So um, we have three key messages that kind of, you know, came out of that, if, if I can, if I if you'd bear with me for just another minute. Um, in terms of what we found, we found three things, like I said, one is that energy access um, from the data is creating jobs directly, indeed, but more so, it's creating jobs through what it enables. Um, so we were finding in the in the data that the the energy access sector um, is actually already producing, creating as many jobs as traditional utility scale sectors. Um, by that I mean, you know, you can think of the KPLCs or the Umemes or the, um, you know, whatever is your, um, you know, public utility provider. Um, we're finding roughly as many um, uh, jobs being created through the energy access sector as these traditional and utility scale sectors. But what we found on top of that was that there's likely to be twice as many jobs um, being created informally and five times as many jobs being created through stimulation of productive use, i.e. jobs created just by having access to a new energy source in a remote or rural or peri-urban community. Um, and that was really powerful, powerful for us because it speaks to the fact that energy access is not a, an end in itself. It's really, um, an, it's really an enabler um, that allows for you know advances in um, healthcare, education, food security, rural development, and so um, we really saw that coming out strongly through the numbers. So that was number one. Uh, the next thing that we found was that the skills gap. Um, that exists because there's definitely a gap. The sector actually, you know, in order to scale needs more, um, needs more talents, needs more persons in a couple of key areas to, to support it um, in terms of human capacity. And what we found is that that skills gap is not just in STEM, science, technology, uh, and mathematics, engineering and mathematics. What we found is that uh, companies were saying through the survey that they're really challenged um, not just by uh, technology, but by finance, legal skills, and marketing skills and recruiting for those skill sets. And so the second thing that we were able to sort of 
um, you know, demystify is the fact that energy is not an engineering field. It's not solely an engineering field, rather, should I, I should say. Um, so there's many high-skilled work opportuni- opportunities across many disciplines. The challenge is often that graduates from those programs are in short supply or are not industry-ready or there aren't re- established recruitment channels. And so there's a lot of challenges in terms of connecting talents to companies. Um, and then the third thing that we found is that the job creation opportunity is really for rural women and youth in particular. Um, there's a major opportunity there. Um, the data suggested to us that women and youth are often the hardest uh, impacted by the dearth of employment opportunities, um, uh, particularly those in rural communities, obviously because of you know lack of education or traditional perceptions of gender roles and a number of other socio-cultural factors. And what the, the data from our surveys were showing is that um, women, um, women's participation in the sector um, uh, is, is crucial. They play a really important role specifically for the social influencers within their communities. And so that's really important in terms of, you know, having high sales volumes or sales numbers and in terms of product distribution and microenterprise development. So women play a really crucial role. And then we also found that youth participation in the workforce is really high. It's about 40% in Kenya and 30% of the sector in Nigeria. Um, and companies said that they um, would even want to have more more youth on board. Um, so that shows, again, that there is, you know, a real opportunity here for women and for youth and for a lot of stakeholders like our TVET institutions and our universities to get involved in connecting that bridge between those persons that are job seeking and these companies that that need um, that need those those bright minds. Um, that was a that was a long spiel, but I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the study and, and, and uh, what some of the key findings were. Okay, so that, that's actually very interesting. And just, there's a lot that I want to point out, but I'm not sure how long we have. But something very interesting that you mentioned is just the aspect of energy access being an enabler to mm-hmm. how the, a, a community develops or how people go about their daily lives. It's not just about giving them a few lights in their homes. It's really about how, how much productivity that can drive, how many jobs that can bring in. And it's it, it's it's really fascinating, but I want to know from your experience, how has the conversation changed? How has the perception changed in this conversation when you have all these data and all these research facts going behind it and it's not just uh, blind statements almost? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question too because what, what I'm seeing um, is that there is now... Okay, so when Power for All started, you know, when we look back like five years ago, um, the argument around... Uh, energy access, the need for energy access and, and, and universal electrification still had to be made. I would say in my personal experience, I feel like that argument is now understood by, um, you know, a majority of decision makers, uh, both at the sort of the global scale, the regional scale, the local national scale. And in fact, a lot of countries now in sub-Saharan Africa have rural electrification targets or decentralized renewable energy targets even. So I think that part is there. And the conversation is now shifting into the how, how to do this in the most efficient way, how to do this in the most cost-effective way, how to do this in a way that really supports the end user, which is the household or the small business or the commercial enterprise. Um, And so what we're seeing, and you know, you can even sort of take a look a look a little bit eastward over to India and see what's happening over there and, and, and sort of, you know, project what the conversation is likely to look like in sub-Saharan Africa um, in a couple of years. And we're seeing a move now towards 
a conversation around productivity and how we support um, productive uses of energy, not just through the binary of an electricity connection, but through supporting activities in a broader sense in terms of, you know, um, uh, supply chain support, um, uh, business and finance support, um, and, uh, and support for enterprises themselves. So I think that conversation is shifting, which, and which I think is fantastic. Mm, okay, so uh, let's just pivot a bit and let's go into the industrial aspect of this conversation and let's go into the big scale utilities or the government-owned utilities. You also had a utilities 2.0 campaign, which was also just as insightful as that one for powering jobs. So could you give a summary about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And these are sort of related conversations, right? Because when you think about um, the types of off-grid income generating um, you know, activities that we're talking about. We're talking about irrigation, milling, um, coal storage, incubation for eggs and for, and you know, milk chilling. There's the, and then it, it, it ranges, it, it sort of spreads into industry in terms of textiles, carpentry, construction, um, and more. And so I really see this less as a binary of like, you know, large scale versus small scale and more of a continuum of, of, of energy needs. Um, and so what we're doing with this other study is essentially, you know, if you take a look at the electricity infrastructure um, that exists right now in sub-Saharan Africa to support commercial industrial enterprises like you're talking about, you'll actually find that we're ranking at the bottom of all developing regions in virtually all dimensions of infrastructure performance. Um, it varies by sector uh, in terms of telecommunications. You know, we're seeing a dramatic improvement in the quality and quantity of infrastructure. Um, safe water is also improving. We have more of the population on the continent with access to, to water. Um, and there's less of those that disparity between the rural and urban access rates. But the power sector, by contrast, is, uh, you know, which is about the region's electricity generation capacity, that's really changed very little in the last 20 years. Um, and at under 200 gigawatts, capacity is still on entire continent here is still less than a third of that of South Asia. Um, so, so we have very, exactly, exactly. So we have very limited capacity and where that capacity exists, consumption is low. So our consumption per capita um, is roughly about 4% of the US average. That means you and me and whomever else is listening that is on the continent is using about 4% of the power that an average user in the US is using. Um, and so that presents a real challenge for utilities, right? Because they have high expenses. Um, you know, they are charged with getting power out to very remote communities. Um, and at the same time, they have low consumption, i.e. low revenues um, and low capacity utilization. That means higher efficiencies in the sector, right? And so there's really, you, you start to see just with those few basic numbers, the challenges that utilities in sub-Saharan Africa um, specifically are faced with um, in terms of, as I mentioned, you know, um, uh, consumption, uh, low consumption and um, inefficiencies. There's also the fact that we have limited and congested networks and capital constraints and so on. And I think that there's where the challenge is, is to see that not so much as a doom and gloom situation, but really to turn that on its head and see there's an opportunity to leverage existing trends, let's say, that are happening globally in the energy sector. What do I mean by that? 
um, right now there's a lot of, of advancement happening across a couple of key areas. One is decentralization. And you and I, we just talked about that in terms of, you know, um, we have new technologies now that allow for generation to happen closer to the loads. But we're also seeing advances in storage and sensors and metering technologies um, and decarbonized solutions um, for, for generation. So we call these the three Ds. Decentralization is happening, digitization is happening, and decarbonization is happening. And those three things represent a real opportunity to defer generation capital investments to improve the, import, um, the performance of our transmission and distribu distribution infrastructure, and to actually think about new ways maybe of doing pricing or to incentivize users. All of that could potentially drive down the costs for both the providers and the consumers while improving reliability and service quality. So that's, that preamble is about what utilities of the future is about. It's about imagining what this African utility of the future is going to look like, how it's going to align its incentives um, with the consumer, how it can incorporate and partner with new technology providers, whether they're public or private, and of course, how to upscale the workforce, as we were talking about before. So the question really here is, how do we leverage these advances to create and envision the utility of the future for sub-Saharan Africa, such that it's able to meet the needs of its end users and promote economic development across the continent in a way that um, doesn't stifle the economy or, or impede on universal energy access. Um, and so what we've done is we've, you know, we've taken this idea out of, out of that sort of theory space and that what if space, and we made it super practical. We had an opportunity um, to work with um, the local utility or distribution company um, in Uganda, which is called Umeme, and just a few weeks ago, we launched, we launched this campaign publicly and formally. Um, and what we're doing with Umeme, Umeme is sort of a, you know, very typical challenge. It's faced with typical challenges like other sub-Saharan African utilities, meaning that it's, you know, it has this mandate of achieving universal energy access, has high costs. How do you marry those two things together? And what we're doing with Umeme um, is testing and exploring the commercial business opportunities that make sense for them to partner with private technology companies to achieve that goal. So, you know, what would it look like for a utility to partner directly with mini grid companies or solar home system companies um, to do joint marketing and branding, um, to think about, um, you know, customer engagement and customer, manage customer management, to think about compensation for grid services. We don't yet have commercial models for those types of relationships. And so that's what this project is all about, is identifying the viable commercial business opportunities that make sense here to enable integrated approaches to electrification. This sounds like a huge, bold step into the right direction for what utilities in Southern Africa need to be. And this is really the, I see it as two sides to the same coin because it's, they're both trying to achieve pretty much the same goals at the end. Do you feel like that's a, that's a fair statement to make? Exactly. Exactly. You got it. Or rather, they're they're sort of they're, they're complementary. They're complementary. Like like right, right, if we if we're able to improve and expand um, on our electricity infrastructure, that's really great for economies and for job creation. And then also we need to upskill the workforce to even get that to happen in the first place. So it's two sides of the very same coin. Yeah. So now we're in uh, the decade of action. 
so the SDG, the, the Sustainable Development Goals uh, 2030, that's supposed to be the end target. And now we are in the last 10 years. And a lot of progress, as you said, has been made and a lot of people are working very hard in this. But how do you feel the progress is so far in this space, in the energy access space and in the public utility space when it comes to energy generation and distribution? So what is it like from your end? That's a great question. You know, um, a lot of uh, organizations are about the business of tracking how we're doing in terms of achieving SDG 7, which is that universal energy access target by 2030 you just mentioned. So IEA, um, the International Energy Agency, just put out an outlook, Sustainable Energy for All, which is a UN outfit, just put out um, a, a, a report on tracking as well. Um, and there's a few others. Um, and so what those, what those um, studies are finding is that we are not um, right now on track to meet that 2030 target. Um, we need a major influx of finance um, and we need more focus on decentralized technologies. Um, and even the IEA, and it's, it has a, a specific outlook that just a report that's just on Africa alone. And it's projecting that in order to meet that goal of the 2030 universal energy access, as much as I think it was 30% of new connections are going to have to come from decentralized technologies. Um, so, so that really shows that a, sh a shift, a shift is underway, but an even bigger paradigm shift is, is still kind of needed if, if you get me. Um, alongside that paradigm shift and, and, and the sort of the lack of finance globally, what we're finding is that particularly for sub-Saharan Africa, um, we're, we're falling very much behind in that goal because as, as we were talking about just now, we're seeing a population boom that is actually rivaling the rate of electrification improvements or increases. And so because population is growing at a slightly faster rate than electrification, we're actually seeing not that much improvement when you look at the net. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, activity happening on the ground, there's so much happening. So many governments um, are, you know, are, as I mentioned before, creating targets, creating implementation plans, strategic development plans, um, and really working very hard on this energy access frontier. In fact, I think it's one of the big four um, development goals for AFDB and the Africa Union as well. That's very fascinating. Uh, so one one thing I would like to get your take on, this is a kind of uh, a conversation I was having with a different group of young people in the energy industry. Uh, if we get to 2030 and we don't necessarily meet 100% electrification rate in sub-Saharan African countries, especially as a, just as a focus point, do you think that would serve as a, as a form of discouragement or do you think that would further encourage action to be made and for people to take the challenge a bit more seriously and a bit with a bit more urgency than it is right now? Well, I think the sector is still very optimistic. I think that, um, you know, it's definitely 2030 is, is 10 years away and the target is actually very achievable. And there are lots of projections, scenarios, um, if you will, in all of these different reports and studies that I was just um, telling you about um, that, that demonstrate how, what we need to do to still meet that goal. So it's, it's very, very achievable. We need that influx of funding. We need more attention to support for decentralized technology, tech technologies. We need um, more focus on integrated approaches. We need utilities um, to work directly with uh, private sector. We need more policy that is that creates the enabling environments for these technologies to 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 operate and to sort of you know um, to be distributed. So there's a lot that we need, but it's all very very achievable, is what I would say.
And so I think there's still a very optimistic sense about, you know, being able to meet 2020, 2030, well, before COVID. Uh, so just kind of a, as a final point, uh, something going back to something you mentioned earlier about um, the variety of job roles and especially how this is involving a lot of women and a lot of young people in the industry. Um, there's, there's, there's obviously, as you all know, there's, there's a huge population boom in most South Saharan African countries, and the employment rates are not very encouraging just with started industries. Um, how important do you think this would be going forward, and what advice do you have for young people who are trying to get into the energy industry at different capacities and trying to find where they fit in in this whole uh, emerging story? Yeah, yeah, I speak a lot. We have an internship program. And we do a lot of work with um, with uh, youth organizations and universities. So I get this question a lot. Um, what we found from our study on uh, job creation in the energy sector is that, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of different types of job functions that still um, are, where there's still skills gaps or needs. Um, we're talking everything from electrical engineers to technicians, uh, data analysts, software engineers, you know, we're talking about downstream industries like e-waste and recycling, upstream industries like manufacturing. There's M&E, there's finance, legal, business, customer engagement, microfinance, entrepreneurship support, community training. So you can see there's like a broad, a broad sweep. And whether you're an engineer or a marketer or a social worker, there is need for your type of skills in the sector. So my advice to young people that are interested in engaging with energy access and helping to achieve this SDG target, um, I think, um, you know, one of the best things to do is to get yourself exposed. Um, there's lots of free webinars, free conferences, trainings, internship opportunities, mentorship programs, uh, networking events that you can leverage and take advantage of to get exposure to companies, to get exposure to the challenges of the sector, to get exposure to um, where your particular skill sets fit in. Um, so, you know, we were just talking about COVID and once once we have sort of, you know, once that's over a bit, I would really recommend um, taking, the, taking the opportunity to go and leverage those opportunities. Um, and uh, as well, there's a lot of really great resources that are out there to get yourself exposed, even while you're at home. Um, if you just, you know, go to our website at powerforall.org, you're going to find tons of useful, very ready to share and ready to read information. By that, I mean, we don't just post and share reports um, about the sector. We really break that down into very digestible bits of information and insights that are readable by anyone, no matter what your discipline or what your background is. So you can go check those out and, and get yourself more familiarized with the sector and, and figure out where your skill sets um, fit in. But I, but you know, all that to say that I think there really is this need um, for more, um, for more young persons to engage in the sector. Um, just as one anecdote, um, we have another campaign that we run um, that we didn't talk about today uh, that's called Powering Agriculture. And we're looking at the, the direct linkages between agriculture and energy access. And we're finding that there's so much opportunity um, there. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the types of um, productive uses that we're seeing. And, um, you know, and especially in the agriculture space, we're seeing um, so many new innovations of appliances, whether they're on-grid or off-grid, 
um, to support unlocking agricultural productivity. That's one area where you know young people with an interest in development, an interest in food security or climate change or resilience or you know water or energy could be really really um, useful. So that's just one example, and you can you can imagine that there's many other um, sectors and industries where direct engagement. Um, uh, would be would be really useful. So just exposing yourself to what's out there, I think, is is the number one step. That's really great advice. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great having to speak with you on this. I I, really, I wish we had more time to speak more on these issues, but I understand that you have to go. But before before I let you go, could you just tell us what you're most excited about for the future of the sector? What what development or what things have you seen or what small stages that have excited you about what's to come? in the next 10 years or so i think i'm i'm excited by you know the fact that we are starting to see other sectors and other stakeholders be part of this energy conversation it used to be you know like i was telling you when we when we started this campaign um a little bit more of a sort of a um, a challenge to reach out to, um, you know, health experts or education experts or agriculture experts, even as I was just mentioning. And I think that now um, I'm seeing more and more of that kind of interconnectivity. And that makes me super excited because I feel like that's where the power for synergy and that's where the power for unlocking productivity across all of these different sectors really exists. Um, so that's one thing that really excites me. And as I was just mentioning, you know, whether you're an energy expert or not, there is space for you in this conversation about development because energy really, as we, as we talked about before, it's not a means, it's not an end, it's a means to an end. And there's so many um, uh, nexuses or, or, you know, synergy. I don't like to use that word, but you know what I mean, those sort of areas where it overlaps with another, with another sector. And, and I'm really glad to see those conversations starting and continuing. hope you enjoyed that conversation it was a pleasure having dr shirley on the podcast it was a really great conversation especially the last part where she was talking about how you can get involved with the industry if you're considering it or if you're just getting your start because i know now during the coronavirus period lots of people have had their their plans disrupted in some way or another so don't get discouraged look for ways you can learn more and put yourself into situations where you're involved in some aspect or another to the industries or the sectors specifically you want to get into. And if there's anything you want to ask, especially about the internship that Dr. Shirley mentioned, you can just reach out to us by email. We'll have it in the description of this episode. And we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help out any way we can. So thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a rating or review. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We would love to have you guys on with us for the next episode so thank you again for joining us i hope you guys have a lovely day and we will see you next week on the energy talk